Today is December 30th, 2023. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Welcome to the final boxing edition of the podcast of the year. We're talking the best of the best. 2023 was one of the best years in boxing's history. I'm here to break down the best of the best. I'm talking about fighter of the year, fight of the year, knockout of the year, event of the year, round of the year, performance of the year, and finally, prospect of the year. 2023 was such a banner year for the sport because we had so many massive events. It seemed like we were getting at least one every single month. But these fights didn't technically turn out exactly how we thought they would, did they? A lot of these matchups that we thought were going to be 50-50 actually turned out to be one-sided beatdowns. And that is the interesting thing about this year when you look back at it. We're not going to see tons of top-notch fights from the big stars. Like I said, we're going to see a lot of great performances and a lot of performances that showed separation and different levels of this beautiful sport that we love called boxing. So when we look back at 2023, I think we're going to see a tons of different opinions because it depends really what you're looking for in a calendar year for the sport. Are you looking for the big matchups? If that's what you're looking for, 2023 absolutely delivered. Or are you looking for quality of the fights themselves? And that could take place in any type of matchup. We saw huge upsets this year that on paper you'd say, oh, that's a fight you could probably skip. But then if you actually watched it, it turned out to be one of the best fights of the year. That happened on several occasions. So what do you value more? In 2021, I feel like we got more quality as far as what took place once the bell rang. But here in 2023, we got the fights that we really, really were clamoring for, like Tank versus Ryan, like Benavidez versus Plant, like Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence, Devin Haney versus Lomachenko. We got these marquee names. In 2021, we got a lot of matchups that we wanted to see as well, but we got some fights that we didn't expect to be as good as they turned out to be, like George Cambosos versus Tiafimo Lopez. We didn't expect that fight to go that way. We didn't expect that fight to not only be won by Cambosos, but actually be one of the better fights of the year. Nobody going into that fight believed that, aside from Cambosos and his family. Another matchup that came to mind when I'm thinking about 2021 is um, Crawford versus Sean Porter. That was a really competitive fight up until Terrence Crawford took over that fight. But going into that, people were hyped to see the matchup, of course, but we still were waiting to see Spence Crawford. That is what we really wanted, and we got that in 2023. It just turns out it didn't go as most of us thought it would. So what do you guys think? Let me know at me on Twitter or Instagram, whichever one, at someone else. Let me know what year you prefer. 2022 was good too, but what year did you prefer between 2021 and 2023? It was the discussion that I had recently with a friend of mine, Kevin, who's been on this podcast a few times. Shout out to Kevin. But what do you guys like better, 21 or 23? But let's get into this award show. I'm talking about the best of the best. And when we're talking about the best of the best, we got to start with performance of the year. I just touched on a little bit. I don't really think this one is up for debate. But let me talk about a couple of runner-ups real quick. These are guys that entered into fights that a lot of people considered either 50-50 or extremely competitive going in. 
and they really just showed out and showed off and really dominated their opponent. Most of these guys punished their opponent down the stretch. I want to talk about David Benavidez. He did this twice. He did this against Caleb Plant, and he did it against Demetrius Andrade. David Benavidez had a great year. Both of those performances could be at the top of a list if we're talking about a different year, but 2023 was that stacked. Another guy I like to talk about is Tiafimo Lopez. He went into his fight against Josh Taylor as the underdog. He went in there as a guy that people were questioning his mental health going in, questioning his focus, questioning his confidence, because he had a match against Sandor Martin that was really competitive. And at the end of it, he questioned literally out loud, do I still have it? So T.O. proved that he does still have it and beat one of the best 140-pounders on the planet. Not only beat him, but pretty much shut him out and hurt him several times in that fight. Another guy we have to talk about is Bam Rodriguez. Bam put on a stellar performance in a fight that was extremely competitive for the first few rounds, but eventually he took over and broke the eye of Sonny Edwards. Bam Rodriguez definitely deserves consideration in this. But again, we're talking about 2023. We're talking about a loaded year. So even a strong performance like that against an undefeated champion where you break the guy's eye, you're still not up for performance of the year. But another guy I want to talk about, Devin the Dream Haney. He moves up in weight, shuts out, not only shuts out, but drops a guy, Regis Progre, who, along with Josh Taylor, was considered top two at 140 pounds. Now we got T.O., and Haney. But before that, Regis and Taylor were the two guys, and that's not even an argument. Everyone considered those the top two guys. But Devin Haney moves up in weight after defending his undisputed championship earlier in the year. He moves up to 140 and beats the hell out of Regis Progre. And the narrative going into this fight was, yeah, Devin Haney's a good boxer. He could probably outmove and uh, stick and move Regis Progre, but he's pillow-fisted. Maybe Regis can walk through some of his shots and create damage and create doubt in Devin Haney's mind, maybe land some of these big power shots. None of that happened, okay? Devin Haney took it to Regis, drops him early in that fight, pummels him throughout 12 rounds, wins every single round, pretty much wins every second of every round. It was a wonderful performance, amazing performance by Devin Haney. But again, we're talking about a loaded year. A performance like that still isn't enough to win performance of the year. And last but not least, another guy we have to mention, now you're in a way moving up in weight, just like Devin Haney, but stops Stephen Fulton, an undefeated champion, a pound-for-pound guy, depending on who you ask. Everyone has their opinion, like the podcast says. In my opinion, Fulton was that damn good. I had him in my pound-for-pound list. And Stephen, excuse me, now you're in a way, destroys him. But performance of the year, for 2023, without a doubt, has to go to Terrence Bud Crawford. Shout out to Terrence Crawford. I criticized him a lot of times on this podcast. I picked against him in this fight. Styles make fights. I thought Errol Spence's style would be enough to break down Terrence Crawford. Boy, was I wrong. Terrence Crawford absolutely dismantles Errol Spence. It was a complete annihilation. Even the people I spoke to who were picking Terrence Crawford, they didn't expect it to go like this. A lot of them said late stoppage. Um, They thought Crawford would probably catch Spence with something in an exchange. They didn't pick Terrence Crawford to go out there 
and just destroy Spence like he did. Most people thought this was a 50-50 fight. This was a fight that was anticipated for years. This was a fight for all the belts at 147 pounds, a historically great division. This was a fight that was talked about as fight of the century. This was a fight that solidified Terrence Crawford's entire career. That may sound drastic. That may sound dramatic. That may sound like um, giving it too much credit. No, no, no. This fight literally stamped the ticket for Terrence Crawford not only to go in the Hall of Fame, but to be talked about as one of the greats of all time. Terrence Crawford now has the credentials. He's undisputed at 140 pounds. He's undisputed at 147 pounds. And he did it by toppling his biggest rival in one-sided fashion. It's a fight that people said he was afraid to take. It was a fight that many of us, me included, questioned if Terrence Crawford really wanted. He proved us all wrong. And that's why he has the performance of the year. That's why this will go down as one of the greatest performances of the modern era. And we're going to see how it changes both men's careers because Terrence Crawford seems to have a lot left in the tank. We're going to see where he goes from here. He is getting up there in age. And Earl Spence got beat up so badly, we haven't heard from him since. We don't know what's going to come next. Supposedly, there's a rematch coming. I believe the rematch will come. I think the sale of PBC really held that up. Showtime going out of business for, or at least out of the boxing business. I think that put our monkey wrench into the plans because this fight originally was supposed to take place in December. But I do think the rematch happens. But let's say Crawford just runs through Spence again, even if it's at a different weight. What does Spence do from here? I think that is the biggest question coming out of this. What is Errol Spence going to do for the rest of his career? And we'll see where he lands when we're talking about his legacy when it's all said and done because some people called Errol Spence overrated. Some people said he was hyped up. That's cool in hindsight. I think Errol Spence is a great fighter. I think Errol Spence put in a lot of work before that fight. The reason it was undisputed is because Errol Spence was the guy going around collecting these belts and making sure when he finally met Terrence Crawford, it would be for all the marbles. And we have to commend Earl Spence, too, for sticking to his word. He calls himself the truth. He told the truth. He said he wanted this fight more than anything else. He wasn't going to take a fight on the interim. The Keith Thurman fight was out there for him to take. He did not take it. He stuck to his guns, and he waited for Terrence Crawford to make the deal. The inactivity... That could have played a factor. The weight may have played a factor. But we don't know. We don't do excuses on this podcast. We have to give all the credit to Terrence Crawford because if Earl Spence wasn't ready, he shouldn't have gotten that ring. Terrence Crawford did what he had to do, and that's why he is hands down the winner of performance of the year. Let's move on to knockout of the year. There were a lot of knockouts this year. A lot you could put on this list. I'm sure I'm going to miss some. This is just my top three. Um, I went by not only the actual knockout, but
but the circumstances of the knockout. So my top three would have to be at number three. I'm going Brian Mendoza over Sebastian Fundora. The towering inferno came down like a tree. He went down like a ton of bricks. Whatever analogy you want to use, that is how Fundora went down. Fundora was the favorite going into this fight. Fundora known for his inside fighting while he went up against Brian Mendoza, who is great at inside fighting himself. And he landed a sick combination. He set it up with a massive left hook, followed up with a right hook, and then finally another left hook as Fundora was on his way down. Vicious stuff. Great finish by Mendoza. And since he was the underdog, given the circumstances, given what was in front of Fundora, Fundora could have had a shot at Tim Zhu, but he lost it all right there. Mendoza propelled himself into a fight with Zhu that he later lost. But anyway, he got that shot. Big fight against uh, Tim Zhu. So that's why I got to put him in the top three. At number two, I'm going with the heavyweights. You had Joe Joyce, a guy who is known for having possibly the best chin in boxing. We've seen this guy constantly walking through heavyweight punches. Well, that wasn't the case when he got in there for the second time with Big Bang, Jali Zhang. He got destroyed. I mean, a devastating devastating right hand sent Joe Joyce to hell. That's one you have to check out if you haven't seen it. Big Bang is now looked at as one of the most feared punchers in the heavyweight division. I want to see him in there with any top heavyweight. We have a ton of really good heavyweights. Let's see who's great. Let's see who's going to get in there with Big Bang, whether it's Usyk, Fury, whoever wins that fight, whether it's Wilder coming back, whether it's Joshua, Somebody got to see him. But I think one of the more interesting ones would be the Urkovich rematch. That first fight was awesome. I had Urkovich in a very close fight. But I understand that's a controversial decision. Run it back. Let's see who is the better fighter, Urkovich or Big Bang. But either way, I want to see Big Bang back in action as soon as possible. This dude delivers dynamite. And now for my number one knockout of the year, I have to go with Junto Nakatani knocking out Jason Maloney in the 12th round of a championship fight. This was incredible. This is a knockout where, as I saw it live, for a split second, I thought Jason Maloney might be dead. That's how devastating it was. I think it's going to be really difficult for any super flyweight to beat Junto Nakatani. Definitely keep an eye on him with that type of punching power at 115. He's a must-see fighter. But that is my pick for knockout of the year. Up next, let's talk about prospect of the year. This one is one that I see more different varieties of picks than almost any other award because it really depends on what you look at as a prospect. I saw people picking Elijah Garcia, and I love Elijah Garcia. I've been on this podcast many times hyping up Elijah Garcia. I think he's the truth. But people look at his age, and they say prospect. I look at him, I see contender. Not only because of the talent, but because of the division that he's in. 160 pounds, to me, is the worst division in boxing. So I don't see anyone at 160 that I would just say is outright going to walk through Elijah Garcia. I like Elijah Garcia. I think he's alive in any fight with anybody that can make 160. 
That's my opinion. So I don't really look at him as a prospect. If you do, if you're considering him a prospect, then he's prospect of the year for sure. But I'm looking at a guy that is slowly getting his name out there, a guy that is slowly stepping up in competition. He's a true idea of a prospect, in my opinion, and that is Abdullah Mason. I think Abdullah Mason is, talent-wise, the best prospect bar none. He's a guy that I can see doing it all. Punching, defending, moving, being aggressive, being patient, knowing when to step on the gas. I see a guy that, if he continues to develop, will be one of the best fighters on the planet, just based off eye test, based off what he's doing when he steps up slowly. Like I said, he's stepping up in competition, and now he's destroying guys. He just got out a guy, and I believe it was the second round. This dude is the truth, and he's extremely young. We talk about Elijah Garcia being young. Abdullah Mason, I believe, is only 19 years old. So when we're talking about pure prospects, I got to look at Mason. He's 11-0, nine knockouts. He's actually 19-0. I mean, excuse me, 19 years old. He is, for my money, the best prospect on the planet. But again, this is a completely open discussion for prospect of the year. You let me know what you think. I'm open to hearing other ideas. I just think Mason, for my money, is going to be a guy that we're going to talk about and say, wow, this guy is a pound-for-pound type talent. I hear people talking about Bruce Carrington. Again, another guy that I'm extremely high on, a.k.a. Shushu. But the thing with Carrington that I favor Mason over him for is his age. I believe he's in his mid to late 20s. Now, he may be a prospect as far as his level is concerned, of the guys he's fighting right now. But I look at Mason, and I see a guy who may be six years younger than, than Shushu. i got to give him the edge. But again, that's to take nothing away from Carrington. Carrington will be a champion probably in 2024, if not 2025. He's extremely talented as well. But I have to go with the blue chip prospect. By definition, when I hear prospect, I'm thinking of what could be. And Abdullah Mason, to me, could be a pound-for-pound top 10 guy. That's my pick. Up next, we have event of the year. To me, this was an easy pick. I spoke about it during the preview of this event. I'm talking about Day of Reckoning. Now, this car didn't go exactly as we planned, right? Or as we expected it to go. There was an upset. There was actually two upsets, but one really big upset. That was Deontay Wilder getting upset by Joseph Parker. But the event itself was incredible. We had eight fights that were all interesting going into them. We had several knockouts on this card. We had two upsets on this card. We had a ton of talent in the heavyweight division. We had arguably the best light heavyweight in Dimitri Bivol. We had arguably the best cruiserweight in Jay Apataya. This card was stacked with talent, stacked with action. I couldn't have asked for a better card in 2023. And the fact that it was at the end of the year, it was like the celebration of the sport. I called it the WrestleMania of boxing, and I truly believe that. If the Saudi Arabian kingdom can continue to produce events like this, 
boxing will be in a great place. People can complain about it all they want. If we're getting that many big-time fighters on one card, that's only a positive for the entire sport. Can't wait to see another card next year. Hopefully, they do Day of Reckoning 2. But the amount of talent, like I said, on this card was fun. And we didn't get all marquee matchups. Of course not. There were some mismatches on there. But almost all of them delivered entertainment. And how could you not be happy to see guys get this type of spotlight and this type of payday for all the work that they're putting in? Guys like Opataya, of course, he was in a one-sided fight. It was crazy knockout, actually. Could have been knockout of the year, but I kind of devalue it because of the opponent. But again, a guy like him who literally forfeited one of his championships because he was getting a career-high payday. And that's what really the sport's about. This is a prize-fighting business. Yeah, you want a prize of a championship, but he already won the title. Now it's time to get paid. This card presented the opportunity for many fighters to get career-high paydays. Can't wait to see another one next year. Keep it rolling. Hopefully it's another all-heavyweight card. I think we have a ton of heavyweight talent. Let's get these guys matched up against each other and produce big-time fights. That was my event of the year, Day of Reckoning. I think that's a card that we'll be talking about for years to come. Up next was really, to me, just a two-man race, or two-fight race, rather. This is for 2023 round of the year. The runner-up for me was round five. This took place in midst of a war between Jaime Munguia and Sergei Durovinchenko. Round five was amazing. But it wasn't quite round of the year. Round of the year to me, without a shadow of a doubt, was Oshaki Foster and Eduardo, a.k.a. Rocky Hernandez, in round 11 of a championship fight at 130 pounds. This round is one of the best rounds you'll ever see in boxing. It was sensational, absolutely amazing stuff. Both guys showing tremendous heart. Both guys getting badly hurt. Both guys fighting through it, digging deep, and trying to impose their will on each other. It was beautiful violence. It is something I've watched back at least 10 times. That's how good the round has been. I put it in my notes when I first saw it, and I made sure to double-check every fight that I've seen to even find a round that was close. The only thing I found close was the one I just mentioned between Munguia and Dervinchenko. But round 11, Rocky Hernandez versus Oshaki Foster was my pick, hands down, for round of the year. Check that out if you haven't seen it. Check out the whole fight, actually. Oshaki Foster, Rocky Hernandez for the Super Featherweight Championship of the World. And while that was an excellent fight, it wasn't quite fight of the year. Up next, we have fight of the year. This was a tough one. Every year produces many, many great fights. This one, I had to narrow it down, but I did a top five. This is probably going to be another one that's debated, much like prospect of the year. A lot of people are going to have different opinions, different picks, different criteria. For me, it was simple. Which fight did I enjoy the most? Which fight did I watch back and say, you know what, I can watch this back 
a dozen times and never get tired of it. There were five that really stood out to me, and I'm going to go through them right now. First off, at number five, I'm going with a recent fight that just took place a few days ago. This was the co-main of Inoue Tapales. This was a Japanese super bantamweight championship. Not a world title, but a Japanese title. Saya Tsutsumi versus Kazuki Anaguchi. You may not be familiar with these names. I wasn't familiar with these names. But I've learned one thing. In these Japanese cards, headlined by Inoue, typically there's a lot of great stuff on these undercards. This co-main was something I had to see, and boy, did it deliver. This was amazing. Top five may even sound like I'm not giving it enough credit. It just shows how many good fights there were this year. It's actually hard for me to even put it at five. But this fight was spectacular. Go back and watch it if you haven't seen it. Susumi versus Anaguchi. It was the co-main of Inoue Tapales. You could find this fight on ESPN+. Plus. It is a must-see in my opinion. Excellent, excellent stuff. It will not disappoint. At number four, and this will probably be the most popular fight on this card. Well, not probably. It's absolutely the most popular fight on this ranking, not card, but we'll call it the card of the best fights of the world. Number four, I'm going with the lightweight championship, the undisputed lightweight championship, Devin the Dream Haney against Vasily Lomachenko. This fight was at an extremely high level. The skill involved was top-notch. It was high-speed chess at its finest. It was tit-for-tat. It was extremely competitive. It even produced a decision that was controversial to a lot of people. I personally scored this fight eight rounds to four for Devin Haney. I watched the fight back. I rescored it without looking at my original scorecard to see exactly which rounds I picked. I scored it the exact same way, 8-4, to four, Devin Haney. I thought the body punches by Devin Haney were the factor in this fight. I thought Lomachenko got a lot of credit for doing things that weren't really clean, like throwing a lot of combinations that didn't land particularly clean. Um, and I thought Devin didn't get enough credit for the body work. But either way, the judges agreed. It was a unanimous decision for Devin Haney. The thing about this fight that people have to take into consideration is Devin Haney, for as many fans as he has, he has a lot of detractors. He has a lot of people that don't like him for whatever reason. And Vasily Lomachenko has an extremely strong and vocal fan base. So when there's a close fight that their fighter didn't win, they automatically assume robbery. I didn't see anything that resembled a robbery. I think if you try really, really hard, you could argue that this fight was a draw. But again, I just didn't see it that way. I saw eight rounds to four. But there were a couple close rounds that you could have given to Loma. There was not seven rounds in this fight that you could find that you can possibly give to Lomachenko. I don't see it at all. The one thing I do agree on, and I think most people would agree on, is that it was a fantastic fight. It was high level. It was built up to be high level. And it lived up to the hype. That is the most important thing. Some people have it as their fight of the year. I'm not mad at that. Given the the shine that was on it, the spotlight that was on, this was a pay-per-view event, it, it very well could be fight of the year. It was that damn good. It was a fight in one of the only fights in recent memory that I can recall 
where people had Lomachenko winning, saying it was a robbery, and then they rewatched the fight and retracted their statements. We saw this happen several times. We saw it happen with Tim Bradley. We also saw it happen with Shakur Stevenson. I've heard it happen with fans online. Like, I've never seen anything like it. So the amount of interest and the amount of attention and the amount of times people brought it up, even still to this day, it's still talked about. And this happened over six months ago. People were highly invested. It has to be in your top five fights of the year, if not your fight of the year. But that was my number four fight of the year. Number three, a fight that I mentioned earlier, I'm talking about Jaime Munguia versus Sergey Dervinchenko. This fight was a war from beginning to end. It produced one of the best rounds of the year, which I discussed earlier, round five. Overall, it was just rock'em, sock'em robots. The skill level wasn't as high as some of the other fights on this list, but pure entertainment value, you could argue it's number one. I have no issue with that. Either one of these five fights, that's how close they are to me. You could argue they're all the best fight of the year. Uh, this fight, to me, I don't even think I saw this live. I ended up rewatching it because on paper, I saw Sergey Dervinchenko, who wasn't a natural 168-pounder. I saw a guy who was moving up. I saw a guy who had been through wars in the past. I saw a guy, a guy who was getting up there in age, and I didn't think it would be that competitive. Then when I watched it, I said, wow, this is one of the best fights of the year. Like, this was amazing. It is one of the reasons I always say we have to watch the fights. We can say we think something's going to go a certain way on paper, but they don't always turn out that way, do they? This was a prime example. This fight was way above anyone's expectations. Go back and watch it. It's on DAZN. It's a fantastic one. Jaime Munguia versus Sergey Dervinchenko. And now, as for number two on my list, second best fight I've seen this year was Kenneth Sims versus Batir Akhmedov. This fight was spectacular. Much like the one I just mentioned, this was action from beginning to end. I thought this fight, however, had a little more skill, had a little more craft, had a little more ebbs and flows as far as technique goes. This was awesome. This was really, really high-level stuff from Kenneth Sims and Beter Akhmedov. These guys were fighting for relevancy. They were fighting for their careers, it seemed. They were fighting not for a title, but to get a consideration for a title shot. That's a deeper meaning, isn't it? These guys realized that in order for them to be thought of as anything in this sport, they had to get through each other. Kenneth Sims already had two losses, already had a draw entering this fight. Akhmedov already had two losses going into this fight. He was, I believe, 9-2 and two going into this fight. He needed the victory. Both guys left it all on the line. Both guys fought tooth and nail and completely emptied their gas tanks throughout the course of this fight. This was the second best fight I'd seen all year. And like I said, like every other fight on this list, if you think it was the best, I'm not going to argue with you. It was that good. It was the rare occasion where both fighters' stock go up. And Akhmedov now has three losses. But that's not going to stop me from watching his next fight. He leaves it all out there. He's a pressure fighter. 
He's very crafty, very talented, and I'll be rooting for him in his next fight. I know he has a knockout recently since suffering that defeat to Sims, but I'm hoping he can work his way back up to, if not championship level, contender level. But definitely check that fight out. That was on Showtime. Um, Understand that Showtime is no longer in the business of boxing. So I'm not sure if you can find this fight on Paramount Plus or if you have to wait until Amazon Prime eventually transfers the library over. But you might be able to find this on YouTube as well. That's Kenneth Sims versus Bater Akhmedov, a must-see fight, one of the best of 2023. And now, as for my favorite fight of the year, this was a tough one, but it was a fight that I saw early in the year. And I really haven't seen anything that I enjoyed more. This fight took place all the way back in February. It was a headliner in California. This fight was on DAZN. I'm talking about Luis Neri versus Ezet Hovhannisian, a.k.a. Crazy A. This was a war. So fun. Back and forth. Both guys hurt at different times. It was just... Incredible stuff. My favorite fight of the year. Luis Neri is always in action fights. He arguably is the biggest puncher in the division. And now that he defeated Crazy A, and then he defeated a Filipino fighter by the name of Froyland Saluda. That was kind of a stay-busy fight. He knocked him out in two rounds. But Luis Neri has positioned himself for a fight against Naoya Inoue. This supposedly is going to take place in Japan. This has the ingredients of a war. Of course, we know Inoue is going to be favored in that fight. But Luis Neri is probably the biggest puncher at Super Bantamweight. The prospect of Inoue going in there with a southpaw who can bang, that sounds like fun to me. This guy is 35, excuse me, 34 and 1. His one loss is to Brandon Figueroa. Luis Neri is somebody to watch. He was in my fight of the year. He won that fight in spectacular fashion. Go back and watch it if you haven't. Luis Neri versus Azat Havanesian. Wow. That's all I can say about that fight. I've watched it several times. I enjoy it each and every time I see it. I recommend you go back and watch it if you haven't. Again, that fight is on the zone. But now, we're talking about the most important award. This is one that people go back throughout the annals of time, and they want to see who was fighter of the year. Maybe not for this podcast. This is only the third time I've done it. Hopefully, this can be elevated to that type of standard, but most people will go by the Boxing Writers Association and look at who they have as fighter of the year each and every year. But there's a ton of other ones. There's this one. There's the Ring Magazine. There's Brunch Boxing. Shout out to Brunch Boxing, the best show on Twitter. You could find them each and every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You will get some of the best and biggest news in all of boxing delivered to you in a comedic and fun way. Shout out to MVO and Ezra Boxing, the two co-hosts of that show. Amazing work going on over there. Check it out again every Saturday at 11.30 a.m. And if you miss it live, you can check it out on the Brunch Boxing Twitter page. They have it recorded. You can enjoy it whenever you want. Shout out to those guys. They did a great show. But here, we're going to do our own. This is my Fighter of the Year 
and it's really a three-man race, isn't it? I said it on Twitter a few days ago. Only three people can even be considered. And I've talked about earlier how guys have had great performances this year. And shout out to them. There's been a ton of them. It's been a tremendous year. But only three men deserve consideration. Those three men are Inouye, Crawford, and Haney. Now, Devin Haney defended his undisputed championship in a fight against a top contender, Vasily Lomachenko. He then moves up in weight, challenges the champion at the weight class above him at 140, Regis Progray, and not only does he shut him out, he drops him, dominates him, made it look easy. So Devin Haney has to be considered for fighter of the year. Two highly impressive victories in two different weight classes with championships on the line in both of them. Then Terrence Crawford, a guy who I said has performance of the year. He destroys a guy that everyone thought was a 50-50 fight in a fight that was anticipated for years in a fight that cemented his legacy. And then now you're in a way moves up in weight, destroys the champion, Stephen Fulton. Then later in the year, also stops Marlon Tapales, who held the rest of the shares of the Super Bantamweight Championship. He made himself undisputed champion in only two fights in the weight class. So while I think all three guys have a strong case, my fighter of the year is now yet in a way. Inouye and Crawford have careers that are eerily similar. Back in 2014, now you're in a way. Knocks out Adrian Hernandez to win the light flyweight championship. Later in that year, he defends it against Samartlek Kokaitjim. Sorry for the pronunciation if I messed that up, but I think I got it right. He drops him, beats him in the 11th round. And then he defends it again against Omar Narvaez, who was on a great run before that. In a way, dispatches of him in two rounds. And then here in the States, that same year, 2014, Terrence Crawford wins his first title. He beats Ricky Burns, 12-round unanimous decision, goes over to Scotland to do it. Then he fights Gamboa. I believe Gamboa was unbeaten at that time. Crawford knocks him out, stops him in nine rounds. And then at the end of the year, he defends his title. Another 12-round unanimous decision against Ray Beltran. Solid wins right there. Really solid wins from Crawford. Those wins earned him fighter of the year. One could argue 
the competition and the way he won that Naoya Inoue deserved Fighter of the Year in 2014. Here we are in 2023, and we're talking about these two guys again. That just shows you how special both of these guys are. We're talking about two all-time greats. If Crawford got it that year, Inouye may have deserved it. My opinion, Inouye gets it this year. Both men deserve it. We're going to have to see what happens with the Boxing Writers Association, who they vote for. But my vote is for Inouye. The Tapale's victory, people say, oh, you know, he wasn't that good. Listen, Tapale's entered the fight with MJ Akhmadaliev as a plus 340 underdog. Akhmadaliev was a minus 500 favorite. Tapales beat him. Tapales took his titles. Tapales put himself in position to fight Inouye. And he gave Inouye a much better fight than Stephen Fulton did. I don't think anyone would say that Tapales is a better fighter than Fulton. But he, on that night, put up a better fight. And we're talking about a better fight with a guy that may have won one round. That's how special Inouye is. A guy wins one round against you, and they're like, wow, that guy fought better than I thought. That's special stuff. We're talking about two special fighters here. Actually, three. When you talk about Haney as well, not to discredit him, he's done a great job as well. But Haney is still in the infancy of his career. He's in his early 20s. Inouye and Crawford already have Hall of Fame resumes Everything they do from here on out is just extra. It's just adding to what they've already accomplished. I think Inouye is your fighter of the year, but again, I am not mad at any of the two other options. But that Tapale's victory to me is what puts him a little bit above Crawford. And then as far as Haney, you could say the Lomachenko victory, while it was great, it was a close fight. And some people did think that uh, it was a draw. So there's that. In a way, left no doubt. Two stoppages. Crawford left no doubt. Destroyed Spence. But let me know what you guys think. Thank you guys for listening. You could add me on Twitter at someone else. Don't forget to give me that five-star review. Please tell a friend to tell a friend. Enjoy the new year. Be safe. Thank you guys again. I'm out.